Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. And today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling, historic church that functions like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations that use our building throughout the week. This podcast is an audio recording of our weekly sermons. You may notice that I occasionally pause for laughter that seems out of context. That's likely because our PowerPoint is showing, I don't know, the head of Jesus photoshopped onto the body of Steven Seagal or some equally cheesy joke that has to be experienced in person, which honestly is just a bad segue to say, hey, come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Lastly, we had some delay putting sermons online uh, throughout the fall, so this spring we'll be mixing in some sermons that never made it online in addition to our weekly podcast. Thanks, and enjoy. scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 20 to 21, and chapter 7, verses 15 to 24a. But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that just as sin exercised dominion and death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In fact, I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do what I know is right. I do the things I hate. Although I don't do what I know is right, I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing these evil things. The sin that lives in me is what does them. I know that my selfish desires won't let me do anything that is good. Even when I want to do right, I cannot. Instead of doing what I know is right, I do wrong. And so, if I don't do what I know is right... I am no longer the one doing these evil things. The sin that lives in me is what does them. The law has shown me that something in me keeps me from doing what I know is right. With my whole heart, I agree with the law of God. But in every part of me, I discover something fighting against my mind and it makes me a prisoner of sin that controls everything I do. What a miserable person I am. This is the word of the Lord. 
Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence in this world, your presence and your being that, that saturates the earth that surrounds us, that dwells within us and gives us life. We pray that we would experience your presence this morning and that we may hear your word for us. Amen. <clears throat> so this morning I'm going to talk about two things, two words, two terms, two ideas, sin and grace. And I'll admit that around here, you probably hear the word grace more than you hear the word sin. And if I'm honest with myself, that's probably because, I don't know, uh, urban sin just feels like a bad name for a church. Hey, I mean, I didn't, I didn't name it either, so... That's not true. The, the real reason is that most of us don't like talking about sin. The whole concept of sin might bring back feelings of shame and guilt, memories of a childhood where we learned that our sins were so bad that the most perfect person in the world had to die. We learned that, that sin was, wasn't just a problem for, I don't know what, axe murderers. Sin was about us. Sin was a child lying because they were afraid. Sin was a, a teenager cussing to impress their friends. Sin was a 20-year-old having sex with their partner. Sin was the pattern of our lives and sin was the reason that Jesus had to die on the cross. So we don't like talking about sin. Maybe because we still feel shame around our sin, or maybe because we resent the idea of sin. I know I went through a stage where I thought, like, wait a minute. Jesus didn't die because Jeremy Freitas tossed me the S-H-I-T word when I was seven. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Had to spell that one out. So I, I think I, I resented the language of sin that made people feel guilt and shame about what felt like normal human experiences. I, I stopped being able to believe that a loving God would send my friends to hell for the, the sin of being a Muslim. So I didn't want to talk about sin, and that created a problem, because Christianity doesn't make a lot of sense without sin. And I was sort of, in, it was, I was in a bad way, until I read this sermon titled, You Are Accepted, by a guy named Paul Tillich. That's him. He he's, was from the 1950s in an era when, like, existentialist philosophers made the cover of time. And, and his ideas changed everything for me. And it started with his idea and his understanding of sin. He simply said that sin is not a thing we do when we're bad. 
Sin is deeper than that. Sin is a description of what it is to be human. Sin is the distance we feel between one another, the distance we feel from God, and and the conflict inside ourselves. And, And it's like this. It's like deep down we know we should be connected. But even though we want that connection, a connection with one another, a connection with God, we just can't quite grasp it. The way Tillich put it, he said, we're estranged from one another, we're estranged from ourselves, and we're estranged from God. And he said that sin is the condition of isolation and estrangement, and that leads to destruction and death in our lives. And those are some big words and some big terms, and that's because today I'm basically sort of taking this sermon that I love that sort of changed my life, and I'm going to try to boil it way down from 1950s German philosophy to something that we don't hate um, and can hopefully understand. So I will dip into some big ideas, like the idea that, that sin is estrangement, but I want to try to bring it back down to earth with some examples. So, so here's what I mean when I say that, that sin is estrangement or separation from one another. Have you ever been surrounded by people, maybe a group of friends, but still felt really lonely? Have you ever thought about how you will never know what it's like to be another person, even the person that you love most in the world? Have you ever felt like no one understands what it's like to be you, and there is nothing you can do to change that? Like, even the the greatest love can't break through the walls that separate us. The most universal experience of life is that we go it alone. So, because we are always sort of going through life by ourselves, we seek to meet our needs, serve our interests. We try to take care of ourselves. We create groups of people who are like us, because it It makes us feel more connected if we're around a bunch of people who are really similar to us. But groups also drive us apart. Tillich said, like, the the most clear example of how we're estranged from one another is the way that ethnic groups and nations treat one another. And, And, you know, he just moved to America from Germany. And he saw the lynchings in the American South And he said that that that's really similar to what the Nazis were doing in his home country. It it was this separation that that sort of like clumps into groups and and turns against one another. And that's also why he, he thought we should get rid of the word sinners. Delete it from your vocabulary. Because once we start talking about sinners, we're almost always talking about other people. They're the sinners. It's just another way of of separating ourselves. And and it's the separation that's the problem. The the separation or estrangement, it's, it's the reason that we can read that millions of people are starving in Yemen 
and then go right back to laughing at our kids, our friends' silly pictures on Facebook. Like, if sin means anything, it's separation. And this, this separation, it tears us apart on the inside. We know on a fundamental level that, that cruelty towards others, that our indifference towards suffering, we just know down deep that it's wrong. And we hate ourselves for it. So, so we live with this weird mixture of like, of selfishness and self-hatred. And, and that's what, Tilk said, that's what it is to be separated from yourself. And, and it's, that's why I picked these really sort of strange scriptures from Romans that are kind of hard to understand. In, in the one from Romans 7, uh, Paul talks about this. He says, even though, or even when I want to do right, I cannot. Instead of doing what I know is right, I do wrong. And sort of ends with what a miserable person I am. And, and what was going on is Paul's describing like a split in his personality. He's estranged from the person God created him to be. He wants to be someone other than who he is, and he just can't make it happen. And he was a saint. Like, if he couldn't do it, well, I mean, but we know. We know what it's like to be shocked by the way we hurt people. And then also sort of shocked that, that it feels like our actions are out of our control and we know that we're just going to do it again and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And it's this separation from ourselves and from others that, that really comes from a deep separation from God. But, but I want to also be clear that being separated or being estranged from God, that does not mean not believing in God. Because Tilk didn't really think that you could argue about the existence of God. Because God is the ground of our being. God is our source who causes us to exist. God's the force that surrounds us and grounds us and gives us purpose and joy and meaning. So sin isn't a lack of believing that God exists. Sin is separation from our spiritual source that gives our lives purpose and joy and meaning. And again, like, because that's all of our reality. Who, who lives a life of joy and meaning in every single moment? Who never feels despair or fear? And like all of these things, I've just sort of gone through what Tillich understands as sin. Loneliness at a party, scapegoating other people, our lack of purpose. That's what sin is. It's not something we do. It's not being bad. It's the water we swim in. It's the human condition. And as depressing as that sounds, I'm about to tell you how it's good news to me. You need some good news, Cindy? I'm going I'm to do my best. 
So this, granted, sounds depressing, yes. Um, but it was, when I read it, it was like a breath of fresh air. Because I couldn't believe that a loving God would, like, torture my friends in hell for being a Muslim or sleeping with their girlfriend or being really human. And I knew that, like, <laughs> my friends were sinners. And I loved them. And I'd already sort of gotten rid of the idea that sinners were the bad guys. And, and that's sort of already kind of how I thought about the world. Until it made me feel like I wasn't a bad Christian. Just because I didn't like the way we talk about sin. Tillich took that idea that I was taught. That idea that, that God is like a father who repeatedly forgives his foolish, weak children... He named that and said, that's a childish destruction of human dignity. Because we are not foolish, weak children. We're earnest people struggling with the, the seemingly impossible task of loving one another and loving ourselves and loving God. But the the impossibility of loving, our, our indifference to suffering, our disconnection from God, our self-hatred, that, that's sin. And, and I actually want to take sin seriously because sin and grace are bound up together. If we downplay sin, we accidentally downplay grace because grace has to overcome something. Grace occurs in spite of separation and, our, and estrangement. Grace is, grace is our reunion with one another, our reconciliation with our true self. Grace, grace transforms our like, empty, cynical lives into lives of joy and meaning. And again, that's fancy language, but... And, and, and again, that's why I'm going to go back to the Apostle Paul, because his, his life is a really good example of this. Uh, Paul said uh, in Romans 5, where sin increased, grace increased much more. Or where sin abounded, grace abounded more. And, and Paul knew sin. Do you all remember the story of, of Paul? So when we first meet Paul in the book of Acts, he is helping kill a minority religious group. He's experiencing his, his greatest separation from other people and from himself and from God. And, and, and when he is at his lowest point, he's overwhelmed by a sense of acceptance. Christ reaches out and accepts him for who he is, not like a new and improved Paul that's all shiny and clean and sinless. Christ accepts the desperate, estranged, violent person. And in that moment, grace overcomes his estrangement. He accepts that he's loved. He's accepted by the very ground of his being. And, and he's able to accept himself. He's reunited with himself. He's reunited with God. 
He's united to the people he's trying to kill. Paul was was struck by grace in a really similar way to how we're struck by grace. It, It doesn't actually mean that we suddenly believe in God. That's not being struck by grace. It it doesn't mean that we all of a sudden start acting just all proper and nice and meeting those old moralistic standards. Grace overcomes our estrangement. Grace reconnects us. It assures us we're not on our own. And, And here's the part of this that's a little bit hard, is that I think that we... We can't just make it happen. Grace happens to us. We we can't force it. And usually we experience it at, at the lowest moments of our life. Like when life feels meaningless. When we've hurt someone. When we realize that we're struggling with the same issue we struggled with 20 years ago when we realize that perfection is never going to come? Like, and then, in the midst of our despair, a wave of light breaks in like a voice saying, you are accepted. You are accepted. You are accepted by, by that which is greater than you. Accepted by something that you can't name. And... It's okay. Don't ask for the name right now. Perhaps you'll find it later. Don't try to do anything new. Perhaps you'll do much later. Don't try to seek anything. Don't try to perform anything. Don't intend anything. Simply accept that you are accepted. And this is grace. It might not make us better than before. It might not make us believe more than before. But in that moment, grace can change us. Because when we receive the the truth that we're accepted by the ground of our being, we, we accept ourselves. We can accept others. And we can, we can accept others even if that person is hostile to us. Because we've seen that that every single person belongs to the same ground we belong to. Grace opens up the reality that we've, we've all been accepted by the divine presence that saturates the whole earth. And, and we probably won't stay in that moment forever. But grace, grace gives us the power to say yes to ourselves. Grace defeats self-hate. Peace enters us and makes us whole. Like, yeah, sin and estrangement, it's, it's a reality of life. But grace overcomes it. And that right there was like a, an attempt at a 40-minute sermon of German philosophy squeezed down. And, and I, I read that 11 and a half years ago. And it, it felt like the truest thing I'd ever read. I, I didn't know if I understood it, but I just knew it had to be true. And that feeling lasted 18 hours. 
Because the next day I went to a class because I had a professor assign this. And, and this professor didn't like Tillich. And he explained to me why this idea was insufficient. He told me that grace had to be something more than, than a, just a moment. The grace of Jesus Christ changes us forever, and we are never the same afterwards. Sin is defeated. It is a fundamental shift. And I left class feeling sad. Estranged from a truth that had made me feel whole. And I like wandered into the lunchroom where I saw my friend Hanny. And I, I knew that Hanny uh, was like a PhD student who studied Tillich. And so I told him, I said, I loved Tillich for a day, but my famous professor talked me out of it. And, and Hanny was perfect. He said, sure, that famous professor is right. It would be better if grace overcame sin once and for all, and we were given an everlasting peace that never went away. But Ben, we both know that's not how life is. Grace is not a thing that happens once in our lives. Grace strikes us and then vanishes and then strikes us again. Eventually, we learn to trust it. Eventually, grace gives us courage and hope to avoid the despair of our sin and separation. And I'm not sure that I understood then, but, but I do now. Uh, like, a couple months later, uh, after I talked to Hanny and read this sermon, I went to a chapel service. And I was like uh, one of the few people in seminary. I went to chapel every single day because I was losing my faith. And this was like my last hurrah. I couldn't feel anything. I didn't like it. I didn't care. So I just felt like I had to go to try to hang on because I knew I wanted to. And, and I would sing and I'd pray and it was just sort of empty. And then one day I went, actually, I came up for communion and I looked into the eyes of my friend who was serving me communion and I was struck by grace. I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't have words for it. Probably it didn't fit in my theology the way that it was supposed to. But I felt connected to her and through her, I felt the presence of God. <laughs> the ground of my being holding me and telling me that I wasn't broken. And it felt tenuous and insecure. But, but it was a start. I, I almost want to say that's where I started to rebuild my faith, but, but that's not quite it. I think I realized that, that God had been with me all along. I had just missed it because I was like, I was too caught up in other people's ideas of what my faith was supposed to be. And it, it took me a while to trust. I actually think it was probably years even 
before I could, like, step back and understand and interpret what it was. I actually needed to be struck by grace again and again. And if I, I had more time, if I hadn't taken so long trying to explain Tillich, I sort of wanted to go through all the moments of my life where I've been struck by grace and how they've shaped me and changed me. But I don't have time for that. So, so I just in lieu of all that, I think I'll say that, that like, sin is not about all the things you've done wrong. And the disconnection you feel, like, with one another, with God, that, that deep disconnection and dissatisfaction with yourself. Like, that's not something wrong with you. That, that separation is sin. It's the water we swim in. But as, as Paul says, like, as sin abounds, grace abounds more. We have this promise that as sin surrounds us, grace overcomes it. Grace is all around us, waiting for us, surrounding us, holding it. We just need to accept that we are accepted. And like I said, I know this is not a thing we can conjure up. We can't force it on ourselves or anyone else. But we can be open to what the Spirit is doing in our lives. And that is my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. That even in the midst of our sin and separation, grace will appear in our lives. Amen.